Welcome to another episode of Culture Study. My name is Omar Issa, and on behalf of the Tailored Heritage team, I'm so honored to welcome you all to today's show. I wanted to keep this intro short because we have a really powerful conversation to get to with today's guest, the one and only Justino Mora. Justino is the co-founder of Undocumedia, a nonprofit which leverages social media to empower the undocumented immigrant community. Undocumedia has only been around for about four years, but it already boasts 400,000 followers on Instagram and nearly 300,000 on Facebook. Justino himself is an undocumented immigrant, and throughout this conversation, he shares with us the struggles his family faced to find refuge from extreme poverty and domestic violence in Mexico. He defied the odds by becoming the first member in his family to graduate from high school and to attend college as well. Justino was kind enough to share some intimate moments of his childhood, as well as some life lessons he realized along his journey. Now, his work is definitely not going unnoticed. In May of 2013, he was one of seven immigrant rights activists who were invited to share their story and discuss immigration reform with former President Barack Obama and former Vice President Joe Biden. He also shared his story and ideas on how to use technology to push for immigration reform with several Silicon Valley leaders, including Mark Zuckerberg, Reed Hoffman, and Drew Houston. What inspires me most about this conversation with Justino is his unrelenting determination. He's so motivated to defeat injustice in every form of the word, and he really doesn't waste a second of his time waiting around. I hope you enjoy this episode of Culture Study. If you do enjoy this episode, please do me a huge favor and share it with one other person who would enjoy it as well. Thank you so much, and peace. Justino, welcome to uh, Culture Study. We're really excited to have you here. Um, how's everything going, man? Good. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, of course. I mean, it was it was nice to be able to walk around a little bit earlier and kind of get to know each other a little bit. Absolutely. Um, do a little photo shoot and, uh, and, you know, hear what you're up to nowadays. So let's actually just get right into it. Yeah. Um, for those of us who maybe are not familiar with your work or who you are, can you give us a little bit of an introduction? Sure. Um, so again, my name is Justino Mora. Uh, I am an immigrant from Mexico. I came to the U.S. when I was 11 years old. I came with my siblings, with my mom. And, um, you know, I, I, I've been, I grew up here in the U.S. since uh, the summer of 2000. So it's it's going to be 18 years since wow. I've been in the U.S. 18 years. Yeah, so we're we're going to dive uh, deep into that, I think, awesome? um, which I'm really excited to, to, yeah. to kind of explore. But um, let's, uh, let's hear a little bit about what your kind of day-to-day is right now. You're a software yeah. engineer. Correct. Yes, yeah, so I'm a software engineer. I'm also an immigrant rights activist, co-founder of Undocumedia. Right. And, you know, on a day-to-day basis, it's just like a variety of work, um, you know, managing our social media accounts, doing consulting, uh, spending time with my family, uh, playing soccer, going hiking. So, it, you know, trying to maintain a uh, balanced life right. so that we can, you know, stay here for the long run. And um, what's your day-to-day like? Like, what do you, you wake up in the morning at what time? Yeah. So, usually we go between 7 and 7.30 a.m. You know, the first thing that I do is I just try to clear my mind um, as I'm waking up and, you know, I try to avoid looking at my phone immediately. So I just try to clean my room really quickly, set everything fine, and then that's when I check my phone. I check my phone, all social media accounts, uh, make sure that everything is good, that we don't have any important messages that have been uh, unanswered. Um, then after that, I go ahead and, you know, post quickly on our social media accounts. Right. Then I, you know, go get ready, go to the gym. Uh, going to the gym is really important to me. I think it's essential to have a, you know, a healthy mind, healthy body. And, you know, once I come back from the gym, 
get breakfast, uh, get ready, then I go out, uh, you know, about my day. Right. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, Undocu Media. What, what, and also uh, Polybeats. Can you give us like an intro about what both of those are? Yeah. So um, Undocu Media is a uh, social justice uh, media platform. Our goal is to uh, empower, inform, and educate the immigrant community uh, about their rights, about what's going on in the, on a day-to-day basis with immigration. Mm-hmm. And it has taken a, a more intersectional uh, approach. We, at one point in time, we realized, you know, it is important to talk about these issues of immigration, but it also, it's important to talk about issues that are affecting, you know, other communities. Because, you know, as immigrants, yes, you know, we are affected by, you know, this unjust uh, and broken uh, immigration system. However, we're also affected by income inequality. We're also affected by institutionalized racism. So we have to talk about these issues more uh, you know, intentionally. So uh, our account, you know, is about, yes, immigration, but it also, we also talk about other issues that are important. And we, you know, in addition to informing and educating people, we go ahead and, and give them, you know, the chance to take action because that is extremely important, the ability to take action. Um, the other platform, Polybeats, at one point in time, the vision was to create a civic engagement platform something like Facebook, but for social engagement, mm-hmm. civic engagement. So this was in 2015. I had um, you know, several ideas of how, about how to make that happen. But in 2015 and 2016, I realized that people were not yet at that level of, I would say, uh, you know, consciousness about what's going on on a day-to-day basis. Most people have never even met their Congress member, but it's not because they don't know how to do it. It's because they don't care. Or many people... They just don't have the time. So I think... Or maybe even don't see the value in it yet, right? Or don't understand their responsibility in that. Absolutely, yeah. So it's a combination of those things. So I realized, you know, we can build an amazing tool that gives people the power to do that. But if people don't have the initiative or, you know, the passion or the understanding about engaging in politics on a day-to-day basis, then the tool is not going to be used. And a perfect example of that is... If we look at the voting, you know, record, there there goes I think for the last election, more than one third of people eligible voters didn't vote, and I think that's a you know that 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 power that that speaks you know greatly about civic engagement in this country. So um, that platform now became more as as a platform to educate and inform people about all these different issues as well. And I think um, kind of just building off what you just said, that's exactly why I follow the platform because it's become kind of a source of news for me. Yeah. Whether it's like an update about like the movie Coco being live on, <laughs> which is by the way, such an amazing movie, yeah. but whether it's an update on that being live now on Netflix or something very serious about something that, you know, the president is, is doing yeah. now or a law that's just been enacted um, or updates on undocumented immigrants or fundraising, yes. you know, I think you provide a really amazing platform for fundraising as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's become kind of my source of news. So, um, again, I'm really just excited to be here because I think you've built that platform from scratch, really, with uh, along with Yvonne. Yeah, correct. Um, Before we kind of like understand and fully dive into Undocumedia, I think it's really important to deep dive into your story because Mm -hmm. I think that obviously provides the the why for why everything happened the way it did and why everything evolved and how Undocumedia is um, what it is today, which is something that it's an enormous platform. Um, so I'm going to dive a little bit into your awesome. roots if you're okay. And yeah. again, you know, with everybody that I talk to, I want to, I want them to feel comfortable. So if you feel at any point sensitive, like there's sensitive topics or anything like that, just feel free. Yeah, um, we'll and do. We, can, we can move forward. But 
I'm just curious about your kind of family roots. Mm-hmm. Um, where were you born? And uh, maybe you can give us a picture of what life was like there. Yeah. So I, I was born in Mexico, really close to Mexico City. And half of my family, they're from Jalisco and the other half, they're from Puebla. But I grew up really close to Mexico City. It's about 13 miles north of Mexico City. Okay. So it's far away enough that, you know, we live in a small town that was disconnected, I would say, from civilization. So we didn't have running water. There, there was no electricity. Um, you know, it, there was no pavement. Um, there were only like maybe no more than 100 homes in this really small town. So growing up in, in this place, you know, disconnected from the city, from many different, you know, just like I, I would say civilization. Um, for us, you know, we, I, I understood that we were, you know, that we were poor and, and, you know, life on a day-to-day basis was really difficult. Yeah. You know, my mom, you know, my family, they had a really hard time, you know, finding the financial resources to, you know, buy food and, and, and just, you know, pay the expenses. And um, so for my siblings and, you know, my entire family, we understood that, you know, we wanted to uh, move forward and, and do better economically, financially, etc. But uh, we didn't have those economic resources. Right. And, you know, so, you know, poverty was one factor. And then the other one was uh, domestic violence. So at one point, my mom realized, oh, I want to give my children a better life. I have to uh, take them somewhere else and, and give them those opportunities that they desperately need. Because my siblings and I were the best students in our school. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had this monopoly. <laughs> uh, they they called us the moral siblings, right? Wow. And my sister, you know, she's the oldest one. I'm the middle child. My younger brother, he's, you know, the, the, the youngest one. You know, each one of us, we were the best students of our class. Yeah. And when, you know, my mom realized, I, you know, they have a lot of potential. I have to make sure that whatever, wherever I take them, they have those opportunities to you know, uh, achieve their potential. Right. So in the summer of 2000, my mom, you know, realized, oh, I have to go somewhere else. And I'm glad that my family here in the U.S., they told her, you know, bring them over Mm -hmm. uh, because you're going to have, one, those opportunities, but most importantly, you're going to have the safety that you need. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that she took that decision because that literally saved their lives. Because my father at one point in time, you know, he told my mom, if you ever escape away, you know, for, for me, I'm going to find you and I'm going to murder you. Wow. So I knew that taking that decision, it saved our life. So for me, it was like a being born again and having, mm-hmm. you know, coming to a country where that, you know, there was definitely, uh, you know, more abundance of opportunities, but also there were, you know, way many more obstacles that I had no idea how to deal with. Right. Um, and I wanted to actually ask a little bit mm-hmm. um, about what that transition was like, because I, I believe you came when you were 11. Is yes, that right? Correct. So what was that transition like? You had maybe like, you know, your elementary school days yeah. um, in, in Mexico. Uh-huh. Um, and then all of a sudden your family is packing up and leaving, not only fleeing poverty, like you said, yeah. um, but also fleeing domestic violence. And, and how did you process that as a kid? Uh, you know, my mom, I remember that day when we left uh, our home in Mexico, she told us, you know, she looked directly into her eyes and she said, I'm, I'm leaving and I'm giving you the decision to, you know, take that choice yourself. And you, you can stay here with your father or you can come with me. For me, it was like a no-brainer decision. I'm no like, question. I'm going with you. Yeah. Um, but my mom, she was that kind of a person that understood that later on in life, you know, we would be thinking about that decision. Um, so f- for me, once I came to the U.S., 
there, there's huge differences in you know economic prosperity the the kind of opportunities you know it was my first time seeing a computer here in the US and and when i came for me it was like being born again it was like waking up from a dream something like you see in movies such as a matrix right <laughs> you you know you go into the matrix right. that's how it felt i felt kind of surreal just going from you know extreme poverty in mexico uh, not that many opportunities and then just like feeling like i woke up in a completely different world the yeah. next day obviously that transition took a couple of weeks to be able to come to over to the us right but that's how it felt yeah and i'm sure at least for a good amount of that time especially being a kid and seeing a computer for the first time or things like that you must have been obviously stoked like you said and i'm also sure that there's also realities that hit in yeah. um being undocumented maybe having issues not speaking english as yes, well absolutely. um what was that like um i'm assuming you went to school right as soon as you moved in yeah moved? Correct. okay so what was that kind of like um with the kids around you yeah. um learning the language learning the culture and the traditions yeah. and um kind of just walk us through that yeah it was really difficult so in the beginning you know my my siblings and i it was um the end of uh, the month of august when we came so we knew that we had about a month to like learn the language And you know we did our best. It, yeah. it was really basic stuff, um, but then it was the first day of school, and I realized I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Um, but I'm glad it was a bilingual class, so you know that helped a lot. Where were um, you based, by the way, when you moved? Oh, in La Puente. So, so you came straight to La Puente. Yeah, straight to La Puente. Okay, correct. Wow. Yeah. So that I went to the first school is uh, Torch Torch Middle School, and. You know, it was a bilingual class, and that was the first time I saw, a, you know, a computer. And I remember as I was walking into the room, and then I saw maybe like 15 computers around the classroom. And for me, that was like, why do they have 15 TVs in a classroom <laughs> setting? Like, you thought they were TVs. A, yeah, I thought this is a learning environment. Like, this is not a theater. That's so right? funny. And then the teacher tells me, no, they're, they're computers. Like, they're, they're for, you know, doing homework and stuff like that, right? So, um, you know, we got bullied. Uh, we moved so many times in sixth grade. And, you know, everywhere we, we went, my sister and I, kids would make fun of us because we didn't know the language. They would call us, you know, like wetback, beaners, like stuff like that, right? Right. Like really mean stuff. Um, and then in addition to that, not knowing the language, not knowing the culture, that meant that for us, that, you know, it, it, it was reflected in our, in our grades. We were getting C's and D's you know, better grades in math because, you know, that's like <laughs> almost like a universal kind of language. Yeah. Um, but I remember like getting, seeing my grades and I felt really, really bad. And I know my siblings, you know, felt really bad because in, in Mexico, we had like, take, like the equivalent of like straight A's. Right. Top of the uh, class. So yeah, coming over to the U.S. and then seeing like C's and D's, that was like pretty like morally defeating, right? Um, but one thing that my mom told us all the time was, you know, just keep working hard. You know, it's, it's going to be really difficult, but at the end of the day, you know, you will eventually see the light. Yeah. And, you know, that was the, the mentality that I had. I'm going to take it day by day. It's going to be difficult, but at the end, I'm going to succeed. It sounds like your mom played kind of su such a, and probably still does, Absolutely. but plays such a big role in your life. Um, talk about your relationship with your mother. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's been a really interesting relationship with my mom because, um, I remember growing up, you know, she was really, she would tell us all the time, you know, I love you, uh, you know, do good in school, you know, I, I support you in anything that you do. Then when we came to the U.S., that meant that she was a single mom. Right. So she had to work multiple jobs. So 
that meant that we were not seeing each other as often as we did back in Mexico. Right. So th- what I had to do was remember all the things that she would tell us in, in those short periods of, of, of time that we had to spend, you know, time together. You know, on the weekends, that was when we had more time, right? So my, my relationship with my mom and my siblings has been a really close one. Of course, you know, there, there's been times of contentions and, <laughs> and issues, right? Like every single family has that. Exactly. Um, but it has been a really close one. And, yeah. you know, I'm really, you know, my mom has a, you know, second grade education level. But, you know, every time I think of the things that she has done, she should have like a PhD in economics. Like, I, I can't imagine, you know, being a, a woman of color, an immigrant, undocumented woman of color, single mom raising three kids yeah. in a hostile environment and yeah. she did it um that deserves you know definitely recognition and then knowing the fact that you know she did all these things uh without also knowing the language is quite remarkable yeah so my relationship with my mom is one of you know admiration right one that is like really close and you know sometimes when i'm thinking about difficult decisions you know i, I talk to her to just you know run through those things with her and just to see her perspective yeah so it sounds like uh, a source of inspiration yeah and uh and also a source of hope because I, mm-hmm. I would imagine that um you know when you're down and, and not feeling so well and you just watch her kind of hustling and like all of us do watch our mothers hustle yeah um i'm sure that that kind of just like lets you know that you can do it as well yes, you know um, and pushes you forward um through the hardships yep um so let's kind of transition into a little bit um later uh to kind of high school and i'm assuming there's like kind of a growth of both like software engineering and coding and yes. kind of a kind of a addiction to computers <laughs> and then also um, getting more involved with activism. Is Absolutely. that right? So kind of walk us through that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my mom was really clear with my siblings about our immigration status. She told us since day one, uh, you're going to be undocumented and that's going to have a lot of obstacles. Now, I didn't know exactly what those obstacles were. Right. I knew that we couldn't work. We couldn't drive. Uh, we couldn't travel, that we had to, you know, limit, you know, our interactions with uh, law enforcement. So that meant going to school and then go back home. Right. That was my day-to-day, you know, my day-to-day life experience growing up. Then in high school, you know, I remember taking a driving class. I forgot the name of the class, but it was a required class. And my friends, they were, you know, studying the the, the DMV guide, Right. And I was also doing the same thing. And then in the back of my mind, I was thinking, it doesn't matter if I pass this test, like I won't be able to drive. Right. And I remember the the instructor told us, if, if you pass the exam, then you can get your you know, your your provisional you know driving permit, and then you can go to the DMV, and then you know you don't have to take it over there. You know you'll be fine. You'll just have to take the driving test. And I remember my friends, they would ask me, oh, um, are you gonna do this over the summer? And I was like, nah, I'm just gonna. I need to stay in shape. I'm going to, you know, ride my bike. <laughs> and, you know, that was a good excuse because I was in cross country. That is so a good I was doing excuse. many things. I was, I was in cross country. I was a co-captain of the cross country track and field teams. I was working on the, on the weekends. Um, I was uh, the co-chair of the youth group at my church. So I was doing all these things. But I wasn't involved in, in political activism. Right. Um, I wanted to become an aerospace engineer. That was my dream. Um, and then, you know, I learned in, in my senior year that if you wanted to be an aerospace engineer, you needed to be a U.S. citizen mm. because all jobs are government-funded jobs. So that's when it, it hit me really hard. 
that's when I realized, wow, I can't be an aerospace engineer. I have to choose something else. How did you process that? That's like, that's a dream that kind of just gets taken away from you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for me, uh, I just thought uh, there's got to be a way. I don't know what it is. I don't know how it looks like. I don't know how I'm going to get there. But I know there is a way. Right. Like if we were able to come over to the U.S. and we found a way, yeah, <laughs> we I can definitely find a way, right? So for me, I think the hardest part was um, getting those letters of acceptance from you know Berkeley, Capstone, Obispo, you know UC Irvine, UCSD, UC Santa Barbara, and all of them saying congratulations, you've been accepted to the aerospace engineering program. Wow. You know, blah blah blah. And then in the back of my mind, knowing I don't have the money, I can't go to these institutions I, I think that's what hit me the hardest because that's when i realized it doesn't matter how much this society tells young people of color young undocumented immigrants how much i guess it doesn't matter how much they tell us that if we work hard we're going to get those opportunities it's not true like you know it, it comes with its own limitation so that's when i realized I was trying to figure out, did I do everything in vain? Like, was it even worth it? Yeah. But then I realized, no, it, it was definitely worth it because I, I, I have so much knowledge that nobody can take it away from me. Right. So once I went to community college, the reason why I went to community college was I had uh, one person that went to the same high school. He was way older than me, but he managed to get a full ride scholarship to Cal Poly Pomona mm -hmm. because he had been one of the fastest runners in California. So I thought, okay, I want to do the same thing. So I went to community college and I was, I became a really amazing runner in Southern California. But at one point I realized this is not my thing. Like I, I don't want to do this. Yeah. So I was really glad that one of my friends in, in my English class, her name is Andy. She, you know, she's, she was undocumented at that point in time and she was really vocal. And she was the first undocumented person that I had met in person that was really public and vocal about her immigration status. And I found that kind of disturbing but I really? also found that quite, you know, it was inspirational yeah. because I thought, wow, Scary. she's putting herself at risk. And um, she, I remember the first time she invited me to a presentation at Baldwin Park High School. And she said, um, hey, Justino, uh, I'm doing this presentation. Uh, would you like to come with me and just talk about your own, you know, experiences as an undocumented student? That's it. Like, it should take no more than five, ten minutes. And I was like, okay. I was like, how many people? She said, no more than ten. And I was like, okay, cool, I'll go. And it was because it was required for the class. I was like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's going to be fine. So I remember going that day to Wallenport High School. Was this in community college? In community college, okay. yeah, my fourth year in community college. And she calls me and she tells me, Justino, I can't make it. And, you know, I won't be able to make it. Can you take over for me? She set you up, man, to, yeah, she to set do me it up. on your own. <laughs> Once I got there, the principal, you know, he, he you know, we sh shook hands. And then he took me over to the cafeteria. I walk in and I see 300 chairs. Wow. And I'm thinking to myself, what did I get myself into? <laughs> I'm shy. I can't even I imagine. I hate speaking public. Like, what is this, right? Anyhow, so all the people in there were um, parents, mostly parents, um, immigrant parents who had gone there to get that information. And I remember the first, like, two or three minutes, I was, like, shaking, really afraid. And then I realized, no, like, these people, they're like my mom. They're like my aunts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of the students that I see here, they're like when I was in high school, right? So I saw myself in them. I saw my family in them. That's when I realized, no, I have to do this. And then I just lost the fear, the the anxiety, and then I just presented. And then at the end of the presentation, they came up to me and they told me, "Thank you for doing this. Like now we know that our document, you know, that our children can go to college." Right. So that was, I would say, 
the experience that made the difference in, in helping me to realize that I needed to become involved. Because that's when I realized that sharing my story and the information that I had gathered was extremely valuable and could change people's life in a matter of minutes. And that kind of, that experience was a cue for you to start pursuing activism more seriously, Yes, absolutely. Um, Were you ever, uh, or did you ever fear that your openness about being undocumented would would kind of have some consequences? I'm sure it was scary, obviously, to hear your friend doing it. Yeah. Um, What about you, especially in the early stages? Yeah. So in the early stages, I was really cautious. I decided to take like a step-by-step approach. I decided, okay, I'm just going to get involved. I'm just going to go to these meetings and that's it. Um, So I took it really slowly and I thought about the consequences of going public and having eyes, you know, target me or my family. Right. But I think over time I realized, no, I think it's more important that we speak out because it is in the oppressive state's convenience for us not to speak out. They want us to stay silent so that way they can detain and deport us in silence. And if they're going to do that, well, I'm going to make some noise and I'm going to let everybody know that this is going on. So that was my perspective of doing things. So my mom, my family, they definitely became concerned the first time I did an interview. And I just remember I did the interview, you know, for this, you know, channel and I came out on on the news. And then when I got home, my mom was like, you didn't tell me you were going to be on TV. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, whoops. (laughs) Wow. and she was proud. I thought she was going to be like mad. Yeah. But she was like, oh, you look great. You're famous now. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, it was only like 20 seconds. <laughs> um, <laughs> but she, even that, even that's something that's so scary, especially for her, because she brought you guys over to this mm-hmm. country. I'm sure that it was like also a moment of inspiration now. Like yeah. she was seeing her own kids making her proud and doing something that was yeah. a little bit risky, but also necessary. Absolutely. Right. Um, wow. Okay. So now I guess let's transition into undocumedia mm-hmm. and kind of how that evolved. Did that happen when you were in college or that or city college or did that happen when you, I believe you went to UCLA, yeah, correct. right? Yeah. So did you, what was that kind of transition? Did you get your scholarship or? Yeah. So um, when I went to UCLA, that was, I graduated from Island South in 2010. And then by 2011, that's when I entered into UCLA. And that year we fought for the California Dream Act. And I'm glad that through Chirla, the California Dream Network, which were two organizations at the time that I, that I was involved with and where I was able to meet Ivan, the other uh, co-founder from Documedia, you know, we passed the California Dream Act. So that made, you know, that helped me go back to UCLA and continue my studies. Right. So, um, you know, I was doing both, you know, I was doing three things, I guess, three main things. I was working, uh, going to school and then doing activism, but more as a like a personal kind of level, I was doing like my own stuff. Uh, like helping people how to apply for DACA, right? That was like something that was helping people all the time over right. the web and also in person. And then in 2014, you know, that's when Ivan and I started talking about, you know, joining forces and creating something bigger. At that point in time, he had created a page in a Facebook group back in 2012 called DACA Information Deferred Action. So that basically was the, the base um, at that point in time. And, um, you know, I'm glad that we had a lot of people in the movement that helped with the growth of those groups uh, because that 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 was essential in in, in reaching out numbers in the beginning of uh, from Documedia. So in 2014, June 2014, that's when we joined forces. Mm-hmm. You know, we chose the name Undocumedia because of its philosophy. Um, you know, the credit of the, the term Undocumedia goes to our friend Nancy Mesa, uh, Julio Salgado, uh, Jesus, who 
uh, you know, they, 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 they were the ones who, you know, came up with the term right. and started some of the work back in 2011. Um, so, but, but in 2014, that's when we, you know, form, you know, this new project, created the Facebook, uh, a new, like a new Facebook page, a new Instagram account in August of 2014. You know, we started with zero followers. <laughs> we started <Man>. broke. <laughs> that's hard to We're believe. Still broke. You guys are, you guys have, well, what's the following now? It's, it's like 382,000. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's amazing. Mm. In four years. In four years. So that's what we tell people. Like, um, don't let the lack of resources stop you from pursuing your dreams. Like, you know, in our case, growing up undocumented, we never had enough money. We never had the time. We never had the connections. We never had mm-hmm. the education. You know, at one point in time, we didn't have the language. So, you know, you just got to start it. Like, yeah. just can't wait. So that was uh, the thing with undocumented. Like, we started with zero followers on Instagram, uh, something similar on Facebook, Twitter as well. And then, you know, what helped a lot is the fact that both of us, you know, were undocumented. So whatever we posted on or social media, people were able to connect to it. Like right. it was authentic. It was real because it was happening to us on a day-to-day basis. So people were able to connect to that content. They were able to relate. And that authenticity, you know, led to the growth. Um, I would also imagine that the political climate not necessarily is the reason mm-hmm. or a reason for your Correct. growth. But, I'm, but I think that with the political climate, especially during yes. 2014 until now, and with your stories, I think it was kind of a perfect response to, to everything. You know what I'm saying? So Absolutely. I think more and more people were became aware of undocumented, became yes. aware of Justino Mora, uh, Ivan Seja, all these different stories yes. of undocumented immigrants who are proud and fighting for their rights and fighting to stay in this country and also be very integral and important members of the society. Absolutely. Um, so I think that's a really um, amazing thing that happened or, and I guess kind of evolved. So talk a little bit about... Um, social media as well in terms of how you've connected to people yeah. um, with undocumedia and also with your own story yeah so um over social media you know having this software engineering background i understand the limitations of using platforms such as facebook instagram and twitter to connect with people right but they're all they also provide a really interesting way of communicating simple subjects in really powerful images and social media has given us that ability to reach people that we couldn't otherwise reach if we had in those platforms. Right. So when I was doing a lot of community organizing, I would connect people in person, you know, talk to them and share stories. And, and that's how we would be able to connect. And those relationships are definitely really powerful. Like when you connect with someone in person over social media is different. But that means that we have the power to reach someone in Wisconsin or someone in Tennessee. Right. And people will see that content. They will read through it. And if it's delivered in a really, you know, planned, um, you know, the perfect way, then people will be able to connect and relate to it. So they definitely have it, you know, there are different strategies of how to, you know, how we communicate that content. But storytelling has been a really important factor about, you know, on, on our growth, but also in our ability to inform, educate, inspire, and mobilize people. Telling stories about not only undocumented youth who are going to school and graduating, but also telling stories about our parents, right. about street vendors, people work, working in, in, you know, in farming, domestic workers, people who are, you know, just, you know, from many different backgrounds. Right. Uh, people are able to understand, okay, so this is not a Latino issue because that's something that the media is portraying every single day. Yeah. So for us, it was like, how do we provide an alternative narrative, but also one that is closest to reality? So... That's exactly, you know, what we are trying to achieve. 
yeah. on a day to day basis. Something that can connect with people uh-huh. um, domestically, globally. Whether or not whether yeah. they like it or not, they're going to read your story. Absolutely, and I think that's really empowering as well. Yeah, and then um, when it comes to uh, just like traditional media, they don't talk about specific so- subjects. Like they don't talk about what some of these politicians are doing, Democrats, Republicans. We are willing to talk, you know, tell the truth. If you know, when Obama was deporting people, we we went ahead and put it on the platform. He deported the most people in U.S. history. Uh, the Democrats were complicit in in that. We tell the truth. The Republicans did something bad. We go ahead and tell the truth, right? So we don't have uh, that. I would say loyalty to any political party. We go ahead and tell the truth. Right. That's yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. amazing. Um, I guess the the other side of social media that I wanted to touch on is kind of the backlash. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm yeah. sure that it. At some point, it, it would get to you. And I'm sure at some point, even now, maybe it yeah. does. Um, talk about the backlash of, you know, people on social media yeah. kind of responding to you in a negative way. And, and also how you deal with that, because you, I'm sure, receive a lot of hateful messages just because of who you are. Which yeah. is, and because you're proud of who you are. Uh, absolutely. So um, I would say the backlash before Trump got elected, it wasn't that bad. You know, I would get, we would, you know, I would personally get those hateful messages from time to time. And, you know, they were like, oh, I'll go back to Mexico or, you know, get out of my country. Stuff like that, right? But it wasn't that common. Um, I remember there was this um, event, political rally here in Anaheim. Uh, Trump had a rally. And then I, I knew that he was going to be there. And I told, I just posted it on my Facebook, hey, who wants to go? Uh, wow. Who wants to go infiltrate? <laughs> uh, who wants to be a sellout Latino, right? Or sellout immigrant? <laughs> yeah. So one of my friends, Pedro from San, from Fresno, he yeah. told me, I'll go with you. So we ended up going. I had this shirt, I'm undocumented. And then I put another one on top of this one. And then we went, we in, you know infiltrated the crowd. We were pretending that we were going to support Trump. And <laughs> I took a picture. At one point, at the, towards the end, once we realized we got to go, I went ahead and unbuttoned my shirt and then I just went like this, like a Superman kind of pose, <laughs> exposing the letters underneath. I'm undocumented. And right. then the Trump supporters around me, they just looked at me kind of weird. Like, what is wrong with this person, right? <laughs> um, I went ahead and posted that photo on Instagram. I thought it was, I was going to get a, you know, overwhelmingly positive reaction from our audience, which we did. But I ended up getting an equal number of hateful messages. And that was the first time that I was like, wow, like I haven't seen so many hateful messages Mm -hmm. up until now. And that uh, actually became more and more as, Mm -hmm. you know, once Trump got elected, we went ahead and we were being more public, more outspoken about many different issues. It got to the point that in early 2017, I posted the same photo just to tell people, hey, you know, don't be ashamed of saying, that you're undocumented we have to fight back and i remember um one of the like several large trump accounts find they found the photo they went ahead and made it into a meme they just really they had you know the same kind of like letters instead of saying i am undocumented spelled out they had underneath deported oh, no. and this that that photo went viral and i had in in a matter of two weeks i had like more than five thousand hateful messages and comments notifications wow. coming through my phone so i had to change my account from public to private uh-huh. and i kept the private for a couple of months uh, mostly because i was getting annoyed of so many notifications and i thought they're wasting my data like, <laughs> it was about I'm like, data I'm like i don't know so <laughs> i have limited data jesus <laughs> <laughs> that's actually that's hilarious yeah um 
So it, yeah, was part, so it was part feeling pretty bad about and pretty sad about the response, the negative response. And then the other thing is like, hey, man, I, yeah, <laughs> I got to keep my keep my money right. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, so how did you move past that after a couple months of I mean, mm-hmm. you said you kept it private. But I mean, how do you overcome so many people being negative and, and really like people who genuinely hate right. you because they don't right. know you? Right. Yeah. So the way I see it is uh, some of these people, they won't change their mind. I would say that is like 99% of the people, they won't change their mind. Um, I can tell them about the human aspect of immigration, the fact that, you know, I can tell them about the history of the United States, right. the fact that it was founded on genocide, you know, slavery, but that won't change their mind at all. Um, I can tell them about the economic contributions of immigrants. I can tell them about our own humanity, the fact that we have families that most of us come to the country to uh, provide for our families, you know, make a better life. That won't change their mind. Like their thinking is based on hate, on racism, on white supremacy. So I realized I'm not going to waste my time. You know, there might be right. that 1% of people who might say, hey, you know, I want to talk to you more about this in a more, I guess, logical, civilized way. So at one point in time, I just started taking screenshots of my conversations with them. And I would just correct their grammar. I would, <laughs> I would, you know, give them history lessons. And then, you know, I, I just started having fun. With yeah. them. And then I would just take screenshots of those conversations and post them again on the same platform <laughs> where they would hate me, right? Yeah. And attack me. And people, people, you know, from our audience, they love that. Yeah. Right? I was like, I didn't mean to, I guess, provide amusement. I just wanted to expose them, right? Yeah. Because if they have, if they feel so justified in, you know, uh, messaging someone and, and spew their hate you yeah know, well they're, send... go- they're going out of their way to exactly. to be negative yeah towards someone yeah. And, pro- and you know and be hateful absolutely so why not absolutely have a little fun with yeah people? yeah so that's how we see it right um so that's how i'm approaching these messages yeah and still you are yeah still yeah awesome. so, so for instance one time uh they tagged ice the official ice account mm-hmm. on instagram on one of my one of my posts and they realized wow like they're just flooding my phone with so many notifications so i decided to start tagging ice on all my personal photos wow. and i would say on the caption oh there's no need to tag ice i already tagged ice for you <laughs> and actually it worked no way yeah. that's amazing man so they stopped they stopped <laughs> <laughs> okay i have um a quote so a friend of mine uh shout out to my friend kat um, yeah. who's also an activist um she sent me a screenshot of a Facebook post from another well un, well known undocumented uh, activist yeah. th- whose name is Yosimar oh, Reyes. Yeah. Do you know? Yes, I know okay. Yosimar. Yeah. Um, so I saw this post and I wanted to hear your thoughts yeah. on this quote. Yosimar says, uh, "Often when we tell stories about undocumented people, we do so under a white gaze. We exemplify the way in which undocumented people pay taxes, overachieve in school, or the ways in which our labor makes American lives easier. We've been using this formula for the past ten years, trying to prove that we are in fact good immigrants." In the narratives we tell, we attempt to pacify this white anxiety and paranoia that is buried deep in the soil of this country. But I think it's time that we start asking white people, what is it that you fear? If you hate undocumented people, there is nothing I can do to convince you otherwise. You have to investigate within yourself. why Why is it that you hate? How did you become this spiritually bankrupt? I will not compromise my dignity for your acceptance, nor bleed for you to acknowledge my humanity. Yeah. I think that's what really snap, well snap, snapped. Snap. Yeah. Um, I wanted to hear your thoughts on that if you want to expand a little bit. On point. Um, he makes a really, you know, valid argument, something that many people in, in the movement, you know, immigrant rights activists, immigrant youth specifically, have been saying for a long time. 
um, you know, I began thinking about these things back in 2010 with the rise of the Tea Party mm-hmm. um, and how this, you know, led the democratic establishment to take a more conservative standpoint, right, to defend the deportation policies under the, the Obama administration and how it didn't matter how much we 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 try to change the narrative. Right. It always came back to, oh, um, what are you guys doing for the what are you all doing for the, you know, for the e- economy? Um, how are you all stopping, quote unquote, the criminals from doing harm? Right. So those talking points came, you know, it, they, 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 came, they, they kept coming back. And I was trying to figure out, you know, what is going on? Like, why is it that we are so fixated in telling the American public we are worthy of the American citizenship? Like, why is it that everyone in the immigrant rights movement is doing the same thing? Right. Um, and the fact that, you know, we were responsible for pushing this good immigrant versus bad immigrant narrative. The fact that, you know, we got DACA for immigrant youth, but not our parents. Like, why did that happen? And I think a huge factor is this narrative that some of us are worthy, quote unquote, the undocumented immigrant youth, the dreamers, right? Right. Um, and our parents are not. And I think that's one problematic. Two, we've been attempting to, you know, get rid of that narrative and tell people, no, like we're human beings, like we deserve dignity and respect, right. and that's it. That that should be more than enough. Right. We shouldn't have to justify our existence by saying, oh, this is how much I get paid, and therefore this is how much I pay in taxes. We shouldn't justify our existence by saying, oh, I graduated from this institution, you know, give me citizenship, right? It shouldn't be about that. Um, And I think that also um, can negatively and does negatively affect undocumented immigrants who maybe have not had the best records, right? And who Mm -hmm. are good people. They're human, they have, but they maybe haven't had access to opportunities, so they resort to other things, right? Um, And I think going with this whole narrative of, well, I got this 4.0, I got mm-hmm. this, I got this, I got this for everybody. That kind of takes away, well, what about the people who didn't get those exactly. grades, who yes. didn't get that opportunity yeah. to go to college or, you know? Absolutely. Um, so I think that's just something worth noting. And and yeah, and I think you obviously and Yosimar as well yeah. pr- provide a really uh, valuable perspective to this. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, I, I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add to yeah, that. Yeah, so one last thing. Uh, and I think, you know, at one point in time, um, you know, while looking at, at this, at this, you know, at the immigrant, good immigrant, bad immigrant narrative, the fact that we are expected to contribute but not get anything in return, um, the fact that, you know, many people in this country are citizens, yet they're being killed, right? Um, you know, or, or black brothers and sisters. Um, you know, it, if you're a person of color in this country, you still get oppressed. Like, you may be a U.S. citizen, but it doesn't mean you are an actual quote-unquote citizen. You right. might still get treated as a second-class citizen. So at one point I realized, yes, we're fighting for immigration reform and for citizenship, but that should not be the ultimate goal. The, ultim- the ultimate goal should be liberation and not citizenship. So that's one thing that I realized many, many years ago. So whenever we're fighting, you know, that's something that I always have in the back of my head. I can't even uh, respond to that other than I agree. I think that's a great point. Um, I guess that's a great transition, actually. Um, you obviously are, are a big advocate for, for allies. You just mentioned your yeah. black brothers and sisters. How do or how can allies support the undocumented cause? Yeah. So I think um, I have like a lot of advice. <laughs> so <laughs> one of them is I think listening. Listening is extremely important. Um, you know, we all have different perspectives, different experiences. When it comes to helping another oppressed group, I think the best thing that we can do 
is just you know sit down and listen listen to the other person's experiences and what they have been going through so i think listening is you know the very first important step right uh, the second step is asking how can i help um and and then three following the lead of undocumented you know uh, immigrant rights activists uh, you know people who are you know uh, on the ground doing the work and and you know i think those three things you know if you do those three things i think that's you know pretty much more than enough yeah. Um, the good thing about living in cities like you know LA, San Francisco, New York, like these big ur- urban centers, is the fact that because they have a huge immigrant population, there's many different organizations and opportunities to get involved, right? right. So taking that step of okay, I, I list, I'm you know I'm listening, I, I'm now asking how to get involved. Now I want to get involved. It is easier to get involved in that yeah. sense. But you know, again, there's people who are in the min- you know in the middle of the Middle East, right? I don't know, like Minnesota. Wisconsin, like, you know, really far places. So for those people, I think it comes down to what privilege do they have that they can use to benefit the community? And I think this applies to everyone who has some sort of privilege, right? So in our case, we're males. We have that privilege. Uh, We know the language. So that's a privilege that we have. We have education. That's another privilege that we have. So I tell people, think about your different levels of privilege and how you can put those at the disposal of other people that need it. In my case, if I see a member of my community who doesn't know English and they need help with translating a document, I go ahead and help them out. Um, so that's the advice that I also tell allies. If you have a privilege, you know, maybe you live in a state where, you know, there's no driver licenses and, you know, there might be undocumented, you know, people who may want to go lobby at the state capitol, or you can help out by volunteering and being the you know, the designated driver and driving them around, right? Uh, Some people might have the financial resources. Cool, you can make a financial contribution to a immigrant, you know, led organization. Um, You might be able now with under this administration with all the detention deportations, if a family member, you know, if a family is, has a family member who is in detention and, you know, luckily they're able to, you know, get the bail, get this person out of detention, someone needs to pick that person up. Right. from the detention center in this case an ally can go ahead to the detention center and, and pick that person up right so you know there's many different ways to get involved um, again you know financial um, also you know there's people who you know I, I can give you an example like people that work in educational institutions you know they might know the resources they might have the, the knowledge about how to get around that institution right so telling the students how to take advantage of those resources right. is extremely important so what I'm what I'm realizing and just based off of mm-hmm. your response is that activism is just as much showing up to a, a rally as it is like a small good deed. Exactly. Yeah. Right. For, and being Absolutely. an ally for people. True. Um, yeah. I think that's actually really uh, a great way to live. Yes. Um, it kind of helps. It actually just helps me yeah. realize that I can do more in my everyday life. Yeah. You know, when I'm walking down the street or when I'm on my way to work or when I'm yeah. wherever I am to, to take action in a positive way. Yes. Yeah. Um, I wanted to mm-hmm. transition now into kind of a little bit more of like a reflection for you. Yes. Um, so I wanted to just ask some general questions and, and get okay. your thoughts. Yeah. Um, what is it that continues to motivate you and drive you? Like, why do you keep doing what you're doing? You know, one thing is that I cannot stand knowing that there's uh, oppression and, you know, injustice around the world. Like, I cannot go to sleep at night knowing that that it's happening on yeah. a day-to-day basis, on a second-to-second basis. So knowing that these systems of oppression still exist, that's one thing that pushes me to continue to be involved, right? Because I know that, one, 
I'm being affected by those systems of oppression. And two, my family, other community members are also being affected. And three, equally as important, it is our moral responsibility to destroy these systems of oppression for future generations to come. Right. Um, in, in terms of like, you know, being inspired, you know, definitely people that have come before us, right? Whatever freedoms and liberties that we currently have, they're a result of amazing people who have dedicated their lives in the past right. to achieve a more, you know, uh, equal society. Um, and I think we have, it's also our, our, our own moral responsibility to continue that legacy and, you know, and, and carry the torch. So I'm inspired by the accomplishments of these, you know, civil rights activists of the past, yeah. human rights activists of the past who are not only based in the U.S., but all over the world, who have done amazing things for, you know, humanity all over the world. So uh, those people inspire me. And also, you know, my family, my mom. You know, sometimes I may be, I may be going through something difficult than I think, wow, like my mom was going through way more things than yeah. I'm here, you know. It puts things into perspective it, for Yeah, you. it puts things into perspective, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's great. Um, and what is it, both in like kind of a day-to-day and also bigger picture, what is it that... Um, has made you so successful this far. I mean, you've accomplished so much. Yeah, seriously, you've you've accomplished so much, and you're 28. So, what is it that's made you successful? I think it's just I don't know. Like, I mean, I, you know, it's really hard for me to provide an answer to that question because sometimes I, I just tell people I'm just being me. I'm just I want to do stuff. Like, I I love learning. Right. I, I really love learning. If there's something that I don't know how to do it, and I, I'm really passionate about it, I'm gonna figure out a way to do it. Right. Um, I love being also, you know, competitive, having, you know, being the fact that I, you know, have competed in cross country track and field. Like I, I love competing, but I do it to improve myself. Like I'm always measuring myself against, you know, multiple versions of myself. Right. Right. And I always want to improve and, and become better. Um, and the fact that I know when I think about life, you know, the day of tomorrow is not guaranteed. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be alive tomorrow. I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to be alive one week from now. Even the, the following, the next 60 minutes, they're not guaranteed. Right. So the way I see life is I need to take advantage of every single minute that I have at my disposal. And I'm going to do my best to use that time really wisely and effectively. And I think that has allowed me to make certain decisions and, and do certain things that have, you know, I guess, you know, put me in the place that I am now today. Right. Um, just hearing your story, it seems like you've, for a lot of your life have known your purpose. Like you knew that you were meant for something great and you also knew that you were meant to do what you're doing right now, mm-hmm. which I think is a blessing, especially like you said, after the aerospace issue, right? Yeah. When you realize you couldn't do that anymore. I'm sure there was a point where you, where you kind of just fell into this. Yeah. What advice do you have um, for the people around us who are looking for that purpose? Yeah. They want to make a difference in the world. They want to do something big. They want to make a change, yeah. um, but they don't know where to start. I think that's a good starting point because I think in my case also, you know, I I knew that I wanted to do something, but I didn't know what it was, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's quite natural when you're undocumented and you don't know your future, like you don't know what's going to happen the day of tomorrow. Um, So for those people that, you know, they're interested and passionate and they want to do something, but but they don't know what it is, um, I would say, you know, just take it easy, you know, take it step by step but also follow your passions um, to use whatever skills, experiences they have in order to bring about change, positive change. 
And sometimes, you know, life has an interesting way of working and, you know, it may take people certain ways. Like when I was in high school, I wanted to be an aerospace engineering because I wanted to help take people to Mars. That was my goal. I want to take people to Mars. I want to make history, right? I want to be part of history. I want to be part of a team, of an amazing team of people that helps make that possible, right? Um, But that was my concept. I want to be part of change, right? So being part of the immigrant rights movement has allowed me to be part of change, of something positive, right? So that's what I tell people. Just think kind of like generally about what you want to do. Do you want do you want to help your community? That's 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 a good starting point. Like, you know, life will take you in many different ways. It's really hard to predict exactly how you're gonna be doing it. Right. As long as you do it, that's completely okay. Yeah. That's beautiful. I uh, was gonna follow up with that and and ask um like if you have any words that you live by like a quote or something that that you always think of that you refer back to um give me a second yeah no problem i don't have a model that i live by i think is a combination of my life experiences Mm -hmm. um i think about my life in mexico i think about my life growing up here in the united states I think about what my life could have been like if I would have never come over to the U.S. Right. Um, I think about all these things. Um, and then I think about time. How much time do I have at my disposal? Which is undetermined. It's undefined. I can predict that I may have more years to live, right? But I, I really don't know. So I guess it's, it's not so much of a phrase, a, a motto, but it's one of... A, I have to do my best with whatever time I have. Right. So you feel that I've, there's like a sense of urgency. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, knowing that, knowing that you don't, nothing is promised, but at the same time planning for the future, what it, what do the next five years look like for you? I want to continue doing what I'm currently doing. And that is, I want to, con- I want to continue be part of this movement. I want to continue uh, to advocate and, and, and fight for my community. I don't know what, that's going to look like you yeah. know it might be that i'm still involved with the documedia or with other projects or collaborating with other people but that's one thing that i want to continue doing because i think it is extremely important in our society at the moment for people no matter what profession they're in to be involved in their communities be involved in in, in change and democracy because that's how we protect our values that's how we protect uh, our you know liberties so that's one thing that i want to continue doing in, in the next five years right Another thing that I wanted to do, which didn't happen this year, but I might do it again. I applied to MIT. I wanted to do uh, a master's degree program, but, you know, it wasn't possible. I went through all the application process and they told me you're overqualified. And I was like, overqualified. Yeah. I was like, okay, so I'm going to give it a second shot. What a way to get rejected. (laughs) You're overqualified. Yeah, that's what they told me. And I was like, okay. I mean, they didn't give me a specific reason, but that was the last interview I had in that was what the professor told me. He told me that I was overqualified. What was the program? I'm just curious. It's at uh, the MIT Media Lab. Um, and they have an amazing, amazing research groups, amazing knowledge being created every single day. And, you know, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, so I'm, I'm still interested in that program, program, but I might be applying to other schools as well. So I'm going to give that a shot at yeah. the time, you know. But, I, you know, I want to start uh, uh, my own company as well. Uh, I want to, you know, spend more time with my family and then also you know we all also have our own 
you know, unique dreams. You know, my, my, my sister wants to do something. My mom wants to do something. Right. So spend more time with my family to ensure that we as a family are able to accomplish our own collective dream. Right. That's beautiful. Um, how do you want to be remembered? I think this will be probably the last question. I would say that as someone, has, as someone that stood up for what he believed in. Because I think that 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 is, you know, when I think back about, you know, and, and reflect about other people in my life, you know, my mom, other family members, that's one thing that I know they did in their lives. They mm-hmm. stood up and fought for what they believed in and what they love. And, and that allowed them to be as authentic and unique as they could. So I want to follow and, and do something similar. Yeah. Um, Hostino, I think this was an amazing conversation and really uh, inspiring and, and motivational and really appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule to no come speak with me. Yeah. You know, hopefully we can continue this conversation and, and continue to provide more platforms for people to share their stories Yeah, um, for people of color and allies in general to come together and really uh, to grow and evolve and, and push each other towards their dreams and, to, yeah. and also towards uh, quality and freedom and liberation and all those different things. So. Thank you so much, and um, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course.